Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Here it is, the 22nd of January in the year of our Lord, 2019. And we have failed to review a book this week. <laughs> um, I have plenty of excuses lined up. Uh, weather, uh, vacation, government shutdown. So, so let me see if I get this straight. So it's <laughs> crappy out. You can't read. You're on vacation, so you don't have to be at work. Can't read. Yeah, yeah. Uh, government shutdown. I'm not sure how that goes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't have access to the government, so I can't read. I don't know. Your yeah. worry about having access to the government. I got you. The anxiety yeah. that is built yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't have meds for that. So here's what happened. We decided that we were going to review The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas. Um, it is a really long fucking book. <laughs> and I say that not from the fact that it's probably 600 pages and I'm reading a digital copy. Um, it's a long 600 pages. So it's not like reading just two books that, that we would normally read on the podcast. Because we read books, you know, typically they fall in the 300, 350 page, right? This is substantially longer than reading two books. Yeah. I don't know how the math works on that. But uh, it's taking us a little while longer. For example, today, the day we would normally be recording, maybe we would have recorded yesterday. I'm only 61% of the way through this book. Um, Rob, yeah. give us a, give us an update. What Where are you at percentage-wise? Um, zero percent. I have not started the zero book yet. Zero percent. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, next week, faux show, The Three Musketeers. Um, yeah. But this week, um, we're going to do uh, we're gonna do an interlude. Um, and, and Rob has come up with some topics um, that we're going to talk about. So I guess I'm just going to kick it over to Rob and, and see where, where he wants to go with this. I don't want to dive right into book-related stuff, so maybe we'll do some book-adjacent stuff. And then we'll we'll make our way around to the, the more booky stuff. Anyway, I'm just really excited to talk about this TV show that I've I watched uh, instead of reading uh, The Three Musketeers. Uh, because it, it it was something that piqued my interest. I, I can't remember exactly how this went down, but I know that like I posted on the social medias at one point, like why the fuck did nobody tell me this was a TV show? Um, and it's something that we've talked about in the past. We actually reviewed the book uh, perfume by Patrick Suskind back in the day. Um, and I'm sure we also talked about the movie adaptation uh, called perfume, but now there's a TV series called perfume and it's a, I believe it's a German uh, TV series. It's it's uh, in German, and there's splashes of, of French language in there. Um, but yeah, like a six episode season of of perfume dropped without like me knowing at all, and I was very I was very thrown off by that. I saw so Rob and I keep very very different hours. So what happens is I wake up at six in the morning and I see mm. that Rob posted something like two and a half hours before. <laughs> I that's fair. This happened the other night too. I don't remember what it was, but I looked. I was like, "Oh, Rob was apparently still up at three thirty-five a.m. because yeah. that's when he posted this." Um, and I was really confused by what you had posted. It took a while to have like you know the the kind of sleep grogginess come you know come off of me, and I was like, "Oh man, a TV version of perfume. That's that's kind of cool." So I looked into it, and my first thought was, so I, I go to Netflix, I click on it, and I'm like, "Nope." This Rob just saw something with the same name. Like this is not even at all related to 
this. So I wound up reading an article and I was like, all right, it's a modern day adaptation of it. All right, I, I guess. And then I watched one episode and granted it was late at night. So like 830 or so. Uh-huh. And uh, I think I was dozing off through it, but I, I just I couldn't make it through an episode. So I have some questions for you, if you don't mind. This is how we can handle some of this. And if you can keep it spoiler free, that'd be wonderful. Uh, I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. Based on the one episode that I saw, I have to ask this question. Does this bear any resemblance at all in the least bit to the book and or movie? The movie adaptation was very faithful, as I recall. <laughs> so does it bear any resemblance other than the name perfume? Uh, not in the way that you would expect it to, uh, but mostly no. Okay, that's, that's the impression I got. It's really confused by the whole thing. <laughs> um, that impression carries through until I think the third episode is when it's finally revealed, like the connection to the um, the original uh, text. Um, and it's not like they're hiding anything. It's just it, it ha- you know it has to come about naturally, uh, organically in the show. Um, <sighs> I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. I'll tell you if you want to know and then if if it's too much of a spoiler our listeners just won't hear it how's that sounds good to me um so like halfway through the series it is revealed that um someone was reading the book perfume and they got inspired to make perfume in the in the style of granoui oh man i just rolled my eyes so hard i think i had a fucking aneurysm all right, so it's not so much because this is told as like a modern day adaptation of. So really, it's. I mean, this makes a lot more sense, and and here's why I say that. Um, Grand Nui is the person we follow through the book Perfume. He's the protagonist yeah. um, and the antagonist. Really, I mean, he's not a really good guy, right? Right. Um, this other one's like there's a death and like these six close college friends are being like, you know, investigated by the police for it. And I'm like, I'm failing to see yeah. how this has any relation. But now that you say the relation is someone read that book. Now it makes complete sense. Yeah. So um, eh, if you were looking for like perfume in the modern day. You're not getting as much of that as you are getting like a uh, whodunit murder mystery type like um, these group of friends have a secret from a long time ago type story. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the feeling I got is like they were leading you to believe that everybody in that first episode was guilty. Yeah. You know, so it's either hushed phone calls or there's actually a scene where a guy is standing in a lab of some sort. So if you're at all familiar yep. with perfume, you're like, well, that's got to be the guy. That's the guy. Yeah, so. Uh, um, all right. Well, I mean, you can tell people what you thought of it. I, I got to be honest with you. After this, I was I was really lukewarm on it before, and after this conversation, I may just have to let this one fall by the wayside. Wow. All right. Um, so here's what I'll say about it. Like, uh, all right, you watched that series, um, Dark, which is yes. also German. Mm-hmm. Stylistically, very similar. Um, it's it kind of like it's kind of a period piece. Um, in as much as like stuff takes place the stuff that's not taking place in the current day takes place 20 years ago or whatever. Um, but it's got that like very, like, I don't know if it's just a German style of television or something, but it's, it's very much like dark in that, in that, um, in the way that it's, 
in all of like the cinematic elements of it, I, I would say story wise, um, it's a little slow and it's more about learning about the, the skeletons in people's closets than, than really anything else. And there's a lot of nudity and a lot of like very young people having sex and stuff. Um, there was, there was a lot of that in episode yeah. one. Yeah, overall, once the connection to the book perfume is, is made, it gets interesting, but at the same time, it's just a little bit like, it seems a little formulaic for, for like the type of type of show I explained it was earlier. Um, I liked it enough. I thought it was fascinating. And um, I liked that it wasn't just a straight, like modernization of the same story that we've seen before, because I believe the movie did a very good job and the book obviously is, is the best of all uh, incarnations of it. But um, I, I like the fact that they, instead of trying to just like, you know, Sherlock it into some sort of modern version of something that mm -hmm. they, that they decided to inspire an entire new story off of that. And, and, and so that was kind of cool. So overall I enjoyed it and I don't, I, I I don't know if I would watch it again, but um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good take on the story. It does say like it's a TV series. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a season two, and I'm, I'm not really sure based on having seen all six episodes what they would go where they would go from there. Because like obsession with smell can only take you so far, right? Um, I mean that we know of. Right. That's, well, yeah, that's the artist. <laughs> that's the challenge to the artist, right? To, to the writers to, to come up with something we don't know. Yeah. Um, I wonder. Um, so my first thought was, was this something we needed? My first thought was I was really excited. My second thought was, did we need this? Kind of like you said, like the movie yeah. is really good. Like, well, I don't I'm not sure that we need more. But then I was like, all right, well, it's a modernized version. It was my impression. What I'm wondering is now perfume was not like a blockbuster book here in the united states no. i don't believe right and i don't think the movie was i'm wondering if it maybe it was bigger in germany and there was really a call for this so people are like holy shit man this has to do with that book but maybe in germany it was a bestseller which is i mean that would make sense like i'm sure that uh based on the the the, the author's name is patrick suskind i think it's a he might even be german could be um, well, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to pass on, uh, on that one. Uh, yeah, I really like dark though. I really liked Did you watch all of dark? Uh, yes. I really liked dark up until the last like 15 minutes. Yep. That's what I was going to say. It was like that cliffhanger they left us with. I was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, wow. Yeah. Perfume well, came out in 85. Yeah. Weekend. Yeah. 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 The book I know I didn't. Yeah, I did not read it new. I mean, I read it for the first time. I was probably in my mid twenties. So, um, mm. yeah. So dark. Um, I don't know. I mean, that was that's been my only exposure. I think to German television. Yeah, and probably to German movies. I don't can't really think of a German movie that I've seen. Now, f f remind me, because like uh, I, I may just be filtering my memory of dark through perfume but like in dark didn't women really get the short straw like in a lot of ways like weren't they just like weren't, weren't the dudes just kind of like real shitty to women um i i i seem to think so 
Because the dudes are real shitty to women in perfume. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's a maybe that's a cultural thing. Germany, dudes shitty to women. I mean, there's like, I don't want to go into it, but there's like rape and like spousal abuse and like no woman ends up, I mean, and murder, obviously, like the women are the ones that get murdered. Um, they're really, if you're a woman in that show, <laughs> things aren't going well for you. I can't think of, you know what I'm saying? So it kind of. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, it's interesting. I wonder if there's something to that. If, if German storytelling maybe even leans that direction, even if it's not a, um, you know, even if it's not an actual societal trope. Right. And, so. I, and I mean, I think that you know, without going into a whole, like, like, I don't want to start a demonstration or anything, but like it, <laughs> let me, let me get your hat. <laughs> <laughs> there's a moment there, like there's, there, there's some tired tropes in storytelling. And one of them is like, women are, you know, uh, less characters and more like the thing to, you know, create, um, to build a story off of like the, the bad thing that happened to a woman causes X, Y, Z to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that right, sure. storytelling has kind of evolved past that. So when I see it, it's like, oh man, this again? I thought we were I thought we were done with Yeah. So Um Well, it'll be interesting to see what you think of the three musketeers. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Yeah. Um I, overall I would say that for our listeners, um if you enjoyed the book, um and you enjoyed the film with fucking Alan Rickman and like fucking Dustin Hoffman and a ton of awesome people. Uh, this will be an absolutely different experience, but it's interesting to see how they um, kind of fanboy on the, uh, on the original book and the movie uh, actually makes some kind of cameo appearances. Hmm. <sighs> you know, I'm, I mean, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I just feel like I'm going to watch it in like in almost in protest. Just to you know prove I mean? that you were right, that it wasn't going to be good. Yeah, pretty much. Cause <laughs> I, you know me, right. I do shit like that. Hey, while we're talking about, about that, um, uh, Netflix, that is the TV show. You, Y O U. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 40 million views on its first four weeks. Like oh, 40 wait. million series views. Where's David James Keaton? Does he have anything to say about this? Let me look at his well, Twitter. Well, apparently Netflix, yeah, Netflix is releasing more and more uh, more and more stats, I guess. Apparently. But, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned it in brief a couple of episodes ago. I really enjoyed you a lot. Oh, well, thank yeah. Oh, you're talking. Yeah, yeah. And the fucked up part about that is that originated on the Lifetime channel where it did not, you know, have 40 million yeah. views. But I was stunned to find out that there was something on Lifetime that I could enjoy. Like I was, I was in, 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 in I was like, no, this must be a different channel. Like, you know what I mean? Not this yeah. isn't a Lifetime TV show. But can, can you give us a quick breakdown? Because I know I've heard that it's a thing, but I don't really know much about it. Um, so it follows a, um, a a gentleman who is a, a, a manager at a bookstore meets a girl that he is intrigued with at the bookstore and they have a nice conversation. So he decides to be the most super stalker of all time in an effort to win her heart. Oh, right. Yeah. I think you mentioned this before, right? Yeah. And, uh, 
it's a little over the top in part. So I'm not saying this is like brilliant writing or whatever. I just found it thoroughly enjoyable. Hmm. Um, so, not, you know, I'm not saying it should win fucking awards or anything, or it's like the best written TV show I've ever seen. There are some parts that are uh, quite a reach. Um, but I, I, it's very, very um, today, very modern. Um, a lot of it's social media driven, you know, that type of thing. Cell phones play a really important part. So, like, they didn't bury any of those things. Sometimes you tell a story like this and you tell it from the 70s because, you know, uh, one cell phone can can throw off the whole plot. Mm-hmm. No, they, they embrace the technology um, in it. And, and I think it's it's an interesting story because of some of the conversations that it's created online. So. I was totally not prepared to talk about this, but um, you've seen Stranger Things, the first three episodes. Okay, so the the young lady in that that plays the um, thirteen, no, thir- 11, 11, right? Eleven, thirteen was a character on House. Um, Eleven <laughs> is a character on Stranger Things. Um, she apparently came out in favor of Joe, who is the <laughs> who is the stalker in this, and. I mean, it's really sparked a debate. Obviously, there was backlash because he stalks and, and does some some really inappropriate things throughout the course of this. But there is a subset of people out there that were kind of rooting for him through through the whole thing. I I was one of them, which shouldn't surprise anybody who's listening. But I thought that um, it was just interesting to see that there is a little bit of a divide between the people who think that, you know, he's icky and creepy and, and that this is just a gratuitous stalking show and the people who are like kind of rooting for him. Wait, so what is what is our takeaway that you always side with the creep? Because <laughs> no, I just, you know, I, I guess I, as I was so I mean, I, I don't want to spoil any of the show for anybody. I, I just found myself like he would get in these situations and I wanted him to get out of the situations, which in in real life. You'd be like, yeah, I hope that the fucking cops get that motherfucker. You know what I mean? But in watching it in a TV show, I just found him to be a character that that I liked well enough that I was siding with him and hoping that he would, you know, get what he really wants and or stay away from being killed or arrested or whatever, caught in some way. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he, I guess he's, he's a little bit of an antihero. But, like, not the one whose face you want to put on a shirt. Like, maybe you do, like, uh, Al Pacino from, or not Al Pacino, um, um, Robert De Niro from Heat, right? That was one of the first oh, yeah, ones yeah. I remember where, where everybody rooted for the quote-unquote bad guy and nobody was on, like, Al Pacino's side. All right. Everybody rooted for the bad guy until he ditched his girlfriend in the car at the hotel at the very end. Yeah. Fuck right, that. Yeah. That was the moment where you're yeah. like, oh, this motherfucker. Yeah, Sorry. but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you could put a shirt with him on there from Heat and you would catch absolutely no flack, right? But I think if you put, put Joe from you on a shirt, like there's there's a protest happening in front of your house. <laughs> so immediate doxing from from everybody doxing. and uh, protests in front of your house. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, I will check it out. I, I didn't know enough about it. Like I saw it only recently on the Netflix kind of like marquee kind of thing they do. I um, only so I saw it and I was like, hey, that's Penn Badgley, I think is his name from Gossip Girl. I like that guy. <laughs> and then I read the description. I was like, oh, all right, this might be OK. And then by like the second episode, I was completely fucking hooked. So I was think I'm going to. All right. So let's take a step. I wanted to t- I, like I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but you mentioned 
Ah, you mentioned Gossip Girl. And I was thinking in preparation for tonight, before we started our call, that, uh, like, that you and me and you tend to like significantly different things in television and movies, I, I feel. For the um, most part, yeah. There's some, you know, middle grounds that we have, like Justified and stuff like that. Banshee, things like that. But, like, if, like, <laughs> I knew going into talking about Perfume that you weren't going to like it. And it's like, what is it about me and Livius? What, where, what is this? And I was like two letters flashed in front of my head. CW. And I was like, <laughs> that's fair. That's um, fair. I, I do like quite a few CW shows. I feel like you're looking for something different, I guess is what I'm getting at. And I, you know, CW just like making a joke of it and all, but like, um, I feel like you're kind of, and I could be wrong. You are looking for a different outcome, typically, or like a different storytelling style or something than I am. And it causes us to like often drastically different things from each other. But then sometimes we meet in the middle with like, because um, we have this commonality of, of loving good storytelling. I agree with everything you've said. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's one of the reasons I wind up and people look at me weird, but I'm like, you know, like I'll watch a K drama or I'll watch a French crime TV show or yeah. fucking anime or whatever. And it's all the ones I like, I feel are completely unique in their style or their story from anything I've ever seen. Now, what happens when you watch too much anime or too much K dramas, you find that a lot of them are the same, but at least the first couple I've seen are very new to me and very different sure. than the things I'm used to. So I do enjoy, they really catch my attention so much so that I read subtitles for 28 fucking hours, <laughs> but oh, I'm in God. it. Yeah. I'm in it, you know? So, um, I don't know about the CW stuff is really a lot of bubblegum, right. you know, kind of TV yeah, yeah. for me like it's not it's stuff i don't have to pay attention to um some of it you know i, I think you, know, you mentioned david james keaton earlier if i remember correctly he wound up watching um gilmore girls and, and if i remember correctly i could be wrong here he really enjoyed like the banter between them and that's really yeah. what that show is about you eventually because of that you start to care about the characters and then when something happens to one of them you're like oh this, this is making me sad but it really draws you in because of the the wit mm-hmm and not so much the story, but then, you know, if you watch it enough, you start to care about people. I mean, fuck, think about how many years people watch that fucking Friends show. Yeah, 10, if I'm not. Well, but that's, yeah, so they went because there were there were kind of funny jokes and, and whatever. It was kind of a sitcom, this, this you know, three guys, three girls sitcom that really, to be quite frank, didn't have much of a story. But if you get attached to the characters, you start to care about even poorer story because you care yeah. about the characters, not about the story. So that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Whereas I go in for like the, the more fucked up stuff a little bit, I think. I mean, Hannibal you, being the best example. Yeah. Well, you in some ways though. And, and I like Hannibal. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't have the same affection for it that you do, but I really like Hannibal. Um, but you're kind of that way too. Cause when I think about some of the other shows that scream Queens, that's oh, fairly yeah. unique in its scope. Right. I think yeah. justified, <laughs> like who can't love justified. I, I honestly, Les Edgerton called justified, you know, as far as Elmore Leonard goes bullshit, but then went on to say that it was a really great show. <laughs> he was just saying that it was bullshit from the, the adaptation. Yeah. They got part the adaptation. It, but still said it was great. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like people like who doesn't like Breaking Bad? 
Well, I haven't watched it, so no. I can't. If you watched yeah. it, I honestly think you I think you'd really like it. Um yeah, that's yeah. Our friend uh John has been pushing me on that. He challenged What did he say? He said something that was like it kind of I kind of felt bad about like he always loves all the things that I get excited about, but then like if he's excited about something, it's not worth my time or something and I was like, "Oh man, I'm a I'm a terrible <laughs> friend." So, based on that, I pledged that I would watch Breaking Bad, but I just have not started watching it yet. I will say the the one place that Breaking Bad fell short for me that it won't for you and won't for a lot of people is I got into it like in their second season. Mm-hmm. So then I was watching it weekly. Um, and there would be stretches of like three episodes where nothing happened. And that's fine if you've just given up two hours of your day and nothing happened because you're watching it on Hulu or Netflix or whatever. When you've given up a month and nothing happened, you're just kind of angry. <laughs> yeah, I can see where that would be frustrating. Yeah. So that lends itself towards more of a binging approach. Yeah, well, that's the only way I can watch The Walking Dead now is I just wait until their whole like half season is out and then watch it all at once. And then I I feel like I got a lot out of it in the five hours or whatever I watched versus dragging it out for six weeks and being like, man, nothing has happened since the goddamn premiere. That just reminded me the second half of um, season, I think, three of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt drops in like three days. And I'm very excited about that. I honestly don't even know what that is. I know the girl, like I can picture the Kimmy Schmidt girl, but I yeah. have no idea what that show is. It's just a weird show. Well, there you go. Yeah. I think we love, we both like weird. I think we like just like different kinds of weird. Yeah, that's very fair. That's a fair thing to say. <laughs> well, all right. Now that we've talked about all of our weird TV preferences, <laughs> what what else is on the list here, Rob? Um, we, I mean, we could talk about awards. Get some awards. Let, are about. we are we nominated for something? That doesn't happen anymore. I think we can. Uh... Superior achievement in a podcast. Yeah. I uh, we're not a we're not a nominated for anything that I'm aware of. All right. So well, then fine. We'll talk that. about other people. Yeah. All right. I'll be less enthusiastic, but we can do it. Um, the. I, want, I don't want to get this wrong because apparently this is a very specific thing. The preliminary ballot for the 2018 Soaker Awards was announced. And uh, this is a thing every year where, like, the prelim ballot shows up and everybody's like, oh, happy to be nominated. And it was like, you're not nominated. You're just on a ballot. Um, and then there's, like, the final ballot. And then, then there's some sort of voting. I don't. Who votes? Do you know who votes? I believe that is the members of the World Horror Association. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So right the now... The Horror Writers Association. H- Let me correct myself. H-W-A. The HWA. Yep. Yeah. Um, so right now we have the, sec- the, the preliminary ballot of the 2018 Stoker Awards um, in one, two, three, four, five, like 13 categories. So I thought it would be nice to just talk about um, there's a lot of things on these different lists that are things that we have talked about on the podcast. And so, um, since we're going to be attending Stoker 2019, uh, when the, the awards take place, I thought it'd be nice to talk about some of the stuff that we, uh, we've, we've already talked about on the podcast. Who doesn't yeah, like or a list? Stu- or stuff we're familiar with. So we're going to start with a big one, right? Mm-hmm. Superior achievement in a novel. So being that this is the preliminary ballot, there are three, six, nine, there are 12 
12, um, I get, like you're right, they're not nominees, right? They're preliminary ballots. Yeah, 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 there's, there's got to be a term for this, right? Something? Yeah. Um, of which we've reviewed, let's see, one, two, three, three books. So three for 12, not bad for a podcast that isn't horror-focused, I would say, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So Dracul by Doc Ray Stoker and J.D. Barker, which we reviewed, uh, I guess I was going to say recently, but I guess all these are recent because they were in the last year, um, which I think we both liked, right? I think yeah. we both found pretty interesting. Um, yeah. That is on there. The Cabin at the End of the World, which we both really liked, mm-hmm. also on there. I think that was my favorite book of 2018. I believe you are correct. And Unbury Carol by Josh Mallerman, um, also nominated for Superior Achievement in a Novel. Now... <laughs> additionally nominated the shape of water which i guess i didn't realize was a novel and yeah. I, I guess i could look into this if it was a if they did it and released it as a novel and then did the movie or if it's just a novelization um although i gotta be honest did you see the shape of water uh, i did not see it oh although i enjoyed it i didn't once think horror as a category for it's it it's just got a fish dude in it right it's got a fish dude in it. That's yeah. yeah. And it takes place in maybe like the 1950s or something. So probably, probably uh, you when know, when you think about less accepting of fish dudes is what you're going to yeah, say. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Well, no, but you think about that was like, um, uh, was it, uh, what was the one with the, 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 the fish guy? There was a classic horror movie from around that time. I can't think of what it's called. Oh, like rate. the, like the, like, like something lagoon, like a, is yeah, the creature from the Black Lagoon. There it is. So maybe people were at that time terrified of fish people. Maybe that was the thing, and this is a you know a, a period piece. <laughs> there you go. Um, uh. <laughs> but also, yeah, Stephen King, um, also on that list. So again, I don't know, man. It's kind of hard to beat Stephen King. I think, right? Isn't that? Uh, I like. I keep thinking when I see that. I keep thinking the Outsiders, like the uh, uh, oh god. S- S.E. Hinton. S.E. Hinton. I was going to say that, and I know I was going to be right about that, but uh, Pony Boy and all the other. Mm-hmm. Dude, that movie had like every fucking future TV star ever in it, if you think about it. I want you to think about what I am most likely to say next in response to that. <laughs> uh, did I say something short sighted? I have not seen that movie. <laughs> Son of a. Are you fucking. Uh, yeah, all right. I'm uh, dead serious. I also haven't read the book, but I did know that was S. E. Hinton. All right, I'm going to read you the cast. Okay. Of the Outsiders, uh, which uh, was a film that was released in 1983. So you were, oh, I don't know how old you were. Ten. Eleven. Well, yeah. Oh, At the end of that close. year, I was eleven. So yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise. Uh, fucking Tom Waits was in it. Tom Cruise was in that, really? I knew yeah. the other people, but huh, Sophia Coppola, Essie mm-hmm. Hinton actually makes an appearance. Um, let's see. Those are the heavy hitters. Oh, Flea. Flea was in it from the Red Hot from Chili the Peppers. Red Hot Chili. No shit. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, big uh, some big names there. That's probably one of those um, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh, my that's God. That's, like, really good to know. That movie just, like, not locks everything down. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's so. probably a pretty good one for to, to play that game, which I don't think anyone has played in 20 years. So I guess I'm no, dating myself yeah, a, little, a little bit. bit. No, uh, this is by Stephen King. I have no idea what it's about. Note, I didn't even ask you to read it on the podcast. Yeah, you totally breezed by that one. Um, I'm really uh, kind of disappointed in us for not reviewing a book called Frankenstein in Baghdad by Ahmad Sadawi. Yeah, only because we didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. Because I can't imagine that we would let that title pass. <laughs> but all right. So we have to assume this is a serious book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you read that title, you would just think, oh, this is some weird, bizarro book. I honestly thought of it as like a mad scientist, like uh, what's the Nazi doctor guy? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Mengele? Mengele? Yeah, Mengele. Yep. Yeah, like a Dr. Mengele kind of thing. All right, so this merits a little bit of research. All right. <laughs> While you're looking into that, I want to point out uh, something that we talked about before we started recording the episode, that Joyce Carol Oates has a book out called Hazards of Time Travel. And and, and both of us were, were unsure, in the most respectful way possible, unsure that Joyce Carol Oates was still around mm-hmm. uh, when we saw her on the list. And so now thinking about the title hazards of time travel maybe it's a time traveling younger joyce carol oates release this book very interesting um i think we're gonna have to review maybe something off this list <laughs> yeah. that we didn't do all right here let me give you the synopsis for frankenstein in baghdad uh from the rubble strewn streets of u.s occupied baghdad hadi h-a-d-i a scavenger and an oddball fixture at a local cafe collects human body parts and stitches them together to create a corpse. His goal, he claims, is for the government to recognize the parts as people and to give them proper burial. But when the corpse goes missing, a wave of eerie murder sweeps the city and reports treatment of a horrendous-looking criminal who, though shot, cannot be killed. Hadi soon realizes he's created a monster, one that needs human flesh to survive. First from the guilty and then from anyone in its path. So this has won some awards. Dude, that sounds kind of interesting. It does. Yeah, but like I said, I would have thought, oh, this is some <laughs> weird, bizarro novel that, you know. Yeah, we were this both This was wrong. a man, a man Booker International Prize finalist. That, that man important. Booker award is, is yeah, is, is pretty serious. Yeah. So, interesting. And it's interesting. on the ballot for Stoker nomination, or for a Stoker it award is. now. Yeah. All right, let's see what this Hazards of Time Travel looks like. We might have to read one of these. <laughs> it takes place in Hazard, Kentucky, where they're trying, of course to build, <laughs> trying to build a time machine. It is an ingenious dystopian novel of one young woman's resistance against the constraints of an oppressive society. Time travel and its hazards are made literal in this astonishing new novel in which a recklessly idealistic girl dares to test the perimeters of her tightly controlled future world and is punished by being sent back in time to a region of North America, Wayne's Kosha, Wisconsin, that existed 80 years before. <laughs> I love that Wisconsin is a punishment. Yeah. Cast adrift <laughs> in a time in this idyllic Midwestern town, she is set upon a course of rehabilitation, but cannot resist falling in love with a fellow exile and questioning the constraints of Wayne's Kosha. Oh. Uh, of the Wayne's Kosha world with results that are both devastating and liberating. It's arresting and visionary. It's both a novel of harrowing discovery and an exquisitely wrought love story that may be Joyce Carol Oates most unexpected novel so far. 
Wisconsin is a punishment. Yeah. Sorry, so, Adam and Oshkosh. <laughs> all right. We'll move a little more quickly through some of these other categories. Yeah. The only um, the only horse we have in the superior achievement in a first novel. Is a big horse. Uh, it's a huge horse. Baby Teeth by Zoya Stage. Now, I'm wondering, if it is a first novel, is it not eligible for novel of the year? Do you follow what I'm you saying? Mean, you mean the superior achievement in a novel? In first novel, right. To be superior achievement in just a novel. Well, I'm not seeing any crossover, so I'm assuming that, yeah, it precludes um, nomination in the big category. That sucks, because honestly, I mean, if in, in, in all things being equal, if Baby Teeth was was in that other category, you know me, I'm I'm loyal to that book. That would be my my pick for for novel of the year. So it's easily my pick for first novel. It's also the only one I read. You are well. We had the chance. We we tried to read another one on this list. I don't know if you saw. I am the river by T. E. Grau. Oh, I saw. Yeah, the yeah. The, the publisher never never got back to us. Yeah. That's what happens. What was Grau's book from This Is Horror? It's goddamn brilliant. Uh, I'm not going to think of the title of it off the top of my head. I'd have to break out the Kindle app. Yeah, They Don't Come Home Anymore, which was fucking fantastic from yeah. what I remember. Yeah, we loved it. And that's why I was really excited to read the I Am I am the River. Is that what it's called? I Am, I am the River. I am the river, and yeah, it just never materialized. We weren't able to get uh, to get a copy from the publisher, and then we, you know, kind of moved on. And the time passed. It's a very time sensitive situation. Like, I've started like the moment a book is announced, I've started reaching out to the publisher just to be like, "Hey, send us a copy," even if it's months down the road. Actually, that's actually a really good thing that we did that with um, the upcoming. Josh Mallerman book because they moved up the publication date by a month because mm-hmm. of the yep. success of Bird Box. So had I sat on my hands on that one, maybe it would have happened too late. Correct. Very excited about that one. All right, but Baby Teeth, first novel, thumbs up. For sure. <laughs> um, I'm looking through the rest of the list, and there's nothing we're super attached to. I mean, maybe the, in the screenplay category. I mean, we know people, but not nothing we've we've actually read or, or reviewed. So. Uh, but screenplays, the, the Haunting of Hill House has two separate preliminary ballot nominations, um, which is interesting because it's episode five, which I thought was by far not just the best episode um, of that show, but one of the best episodes of television I'd seen in a really long time. And then episode nine, which I really don't remember that well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, um the bent neck lady one was the one that had the moment that Livius was over the moon about, um, for sure. I like the entire series. So any given episode, um, I'm, I'm probably going to be in favor of, um, but like some of the other nominees on this list are, I mean, it's a heavy list. Like there's a lot of stuff. So screenplay for, the movie Annihilation, screenplay for the movie Bird Box, A Quiet Place, Hereditary, um, the new Halloween movie. There are some like big swingers in this category. So not swingers like trading wives and shit, but like they're swinging <laughs> big fists. I don't know. I was just trying to say a thing. I think that's supposed to be batting, right? Isn't that the, the swing, <laughs> the big swing is supposed to be a baseball reference? Sure. Yeah. 
Um, um, I very recently, so I have, um, you, you and we talked about how you and I don't really necessarily agree on movies and, and TV shows and stuff. Um, the, the one guy that's closest to my taste in things, um, is like three different times now told me I have to see hereditary and he just saw it like two weeks ago. So I, I'm definitely gonna put that on my list cause he is the person I probably have most in common with, especially in the weird categories, yeah. like, like Korean revenge movies and shit like that. Like he's, he's on the exact same page as I am. So he is, a. Uh, suggested very strongly that I see hereditary. So I, I will probably, I will likely see that before the Stoker con awards at least. Um, I know Mandy is that weird fucked up movie. That's got Nicholas cage in it. Mm-hmm. No interest in watching that. I will say this is going to be a little divisive, but, um, that new Halloween movie, just guess how many times I've watched it. <laughs> Four. It's probably six by now. Jesus. I fucking love that movie. I don't think that they could have done a better job bringing back the Halloween series than how they did it. We haven't talked a ton about this. I will say that there are a few movies in my memory that I could off the top of my head that I thought the first half was brilliant and then that they just fizzled out, petered out, whatever you want it. And Halloween is one of them for me. I really wow. thought the first probably half of that movie was super, super solid. Um, but then after that, it just lost me. Yeah, I was uh, I was recently hanging out with um friend of the podcast, Jesse Lawrence, and we watched it together. And like, uh, so um, in a text message, you're going to love this, Livius. A text message I sent to Jesse uh, and our friend Missy the other night said something along the lines of, on the spectrum of best to worst sequels, Halloween falls pretty closely to best. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. I mean, it did very well. It sounds like the production company is now trying to pick up, I guess, the rights to Friday the 13th to do the same thing. Oh, right on. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that happened. Yeah. Um, uh, so <laughs> off this list, um, you know, I really loved Bird Box, uh, but that Bat Neck Lady episode of of the Haunting of Hill House. I mean, I don't have a lot of exposure to the other ones, but actually, I take that back. I saw Ghost Stories, and I liked Ghost Stories. Um, very different in its storytelling style, but um, yeah, definitely the Haunting of Hill House for me, Bat Neck Lady. Yeah, I'm a little torn on this one because um, I really enjoyed, like I said, the Halloween script. Um, and I'll tell you why. Like, they, they stayed true to kind of what was the inspiration of the original one, which was, like, never fucking explaining what's why he's killing people. Like, they did such a good job of making him never talk and never explain why he's killing people. They just stayed just real fucking strong with, like... Homeboy's just out to murder people. And I'm going to go ahead and say, he killed the shit out of some people in that movie. Um, but I also really enjoyed Annihilation, Bird Box, Quiet Place. I enjoyed The Haunt- Hunting of House Hill, Hill House probably the most of the entire list, though. Um, but I'm very conflicted. I don't think I could come out with. If I was a Horror Writer Association uh, member, 
it would be very, very close between the bent neck lady episode of Hill House and the Halloween movie. Yeah. I don't know. I was looking through the rest of this list. There's nothing else to talk about. Um, well, I mean, from our standpoint, like we can't speak in an educated manner about any of this stuff because we haven't right. seen or read any of it, I should say. Um, again, there's some familiar names and people we've uh, either had on the podcast or um, have, have interacted with in some way. For example, Lee Murray um, yeah. is nominated for Spirit Achievement in an Anthology. She was the... Um, so we're on the moderator for our panel at StokerCon. And mm-hmm. what a pleasant, nice lady. Yeah, um, she's so great. I, really like her. Yeah, I'm like, you know what? I hope she wins. <laughs> but I haven't I haven't read it. So I but it's interesting. There is superior achievement in a poetry collection. Well, before we go there, I just want to say really quickly, uh, congrats to John F. D. Taft for being on two lists. That's pretty cool. Yes. And again, he's somebody who we've interacted with. And I like quite a bit. We're going to be reviewing his novel coming up in the uh, upcoming months. I think it's right after StokerCon is when it comes out. Yeah. So that's definitely on our list of some. So you're excited Dude, about the poetry. You're excited I about say, the poetry. I'm not. No, no, I don't <laughs> say I'm excited. There is a category. It's superior achievement in a poetry collection. And all I can say about this and to quote a, 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 a friend of the podcast, it's all horror. The fact that there's even this category is just horror. <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> it's all horror. <laughs> all right. This is going to wrap up our, our Stoker award preliminary ballot coverage. Yeah, that's it. That's the last of our Stoker coverage until there's an actual ballot. Yeah. At which point we can um, do things like congratulate Josh Mallerman and uh, John Taft that for, <laughs> for being actual nominees. Yeah. Um, until then, um, radio silence on this. Uh, I hope that the panel of judges that then narrow this down um, gets to work. I just it's got to be tough, man, because I, I mean, I don't know how it works, but I would have to imagine that if you're you're a person that's narrowing this list down, like you have to read everything off that list. Right. Um, yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, yeah. there's no other way to be to objective. Think. Yeah. Yeah. So just think about and Again, I don't, I mean, I mean, no, no ill will in saying this. Just imagine the guy has to read the 12 books in the superior achievement in nonfiction for horror. Yeah. That doesn't sound like that sounds painful. A sexy list. Yeah. No, not at all. So, I mean, and, and again, I'm sure that those books have value and stuff, but someone has to go through all of them. Like, you know, I don't know. If you want to read the untold true story of the Hampstead mur- murders, murderess, murderess, murderess. How would you say a woman who's a murderer? Murderess. Murderess. But see, that sounds like you just want to kill someone. Like you're murderess? Yeah. Murderess. 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 Yeah, it would weird. have to okay. be an S at the end, like murderess. At any rate, if you're interested in that, I'm sure that this is a fascinating book by Sarah Beth Hopton. I'm not a nonfiction person. The thought of reading, like I said, whatever it is, a dozen nonfiction books just is that's that's almost like reading the poetry stuff. <laughs> um, can, before we move off of this, though, <laughs> I sent you a link to a website. I don't want to make fun of this guy, but I want to talk about the website that we saw the uh, the the list from is um, a website called file seven seven zero dot com. Mike Glyer's News of Science Fiction Fandom. Um, so first of all, we don't like sci-fi. So it's weird that we even landed on this website, right? Yes. Um, did you look at the little like black header part just under the, the header image where it's got like links you can click on? I am looking now. 
there's some interesting links on this guy's website like the um is your club dead yet glow in the dark comedy reflections on field of dreams is that the movie um, it is the movie so they're actually not they're not like websites they're like actual articles on the on page his website yeah yeah huh so he has an entire article reflections on field of dreams if you're a really big fan of that movie, maybe go to the file770.com. Kira's Best Science Fiction and Fantasy Brackets. Uh, yeah. Interesting interesting things over here at File 770. Uh, a little a little in the in the header image, it says it's got the the Twilight Zone um, like uh, logo, but mm-hmm. it's changed to the Fanlight Zone. I don't know what a fan light is. Can you, um, will you click on the complete litter of puppy <laughs> roundup titles? Uh-oh. Oh. Uh-oh. What the fuck are you even looking at? So remember the Hugo Awards? There was the sad puppies. Who oh. Were like the people who were pissed that yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. people of color and women could write sci-fi or something. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> These are. Is this guy a I... sad puppy? I don't. I guess there are articles about the sad puppies. Wow! And there's like dozens, and I don't. I'm not sure in, what I'm looking at. All I know is that, you know, the sad puppies. Their logo is actually like, you know, it's not that bad. It's someone put some time into it. The rabid puppies looks a little more aggressive. It just looks like it's a take on the sad puppies. But um, and they spelled complete wrong. I think maybe that could have been on purpose. Yeah. Wow, if I ever care enough to list to read about uh, you know, a couple of groups of like douchebag sci fi fans. Now I know where to go. Jesus, we are not friendly at all to anything sci fi or poetry, are we? At all. Um so we should probably just move on, when you think <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um so somehow and I'm not really sure how this happened, um, we have, I have always thought it was a bad idea to review sequels, right? I've been saying that. We accidentally did time, it our first yeah. episode, and I've been saying it for 430 <laughs> episodes or wherever we're at now. Mm-hmm. But we've broken my own like personal feelings on this repeatedly with one author, Chuck Wendig. Yeah. And Rob lets me know today that we missed the release of Vultures. Yeah, Vultures. How, how did so this happen? I don't know. We're we're, <laughs> we're recording this on January 22nd, and I saw either a tweet or, or something somewhere on social media where Chuck Wendig was just like, so Vultures is out, like in a very nonchalant way. And I was like, the fuck? I guess, and, and I'm not putting the onus on anybody else. This is something we we're both kind of excited. To, to, this is the, the final book of the series, or is there one more after this? This is six of six. Six of six. We've reviewed five of them. <laughs> we should review number six, right? And we're going to. We're just oh, going to yeah. be a little late. I just wonder, and I know we're not like a huge podcast. We're not like Joe Rogan or This American Life or whatever. But you would think a publisher would be like, these guys have reviewed five. Five for five of these fucking books. Maybe we should just go ahead and email one to them, send it to them. Rob has a wall of unwanted books that are sent to him. <laughs> yeah, you Vultures saw it in person did not show up. 
yeah, vultures did not show up. And I'm I'm just and again, I'm not saying that it's, you know, the requirement that the publisher get a hold of us because who the fuck are we? But you would think when someone's been that supportive that that you would reach out and be like, hey, it is a let's little these guys a conspicuous. But here's what I'll say. The first three books were originally published from one publisher and then um, acquired by a different company. Right. Right. I remember there was something. Yeah. Yeah. But still give us throw us a bone. There was a bone. Man, this episode is the episode where we should talk publishers for not sending us books, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Vultures will be up in a couple of weeks. So we'll have the sixth and final, final book in, in, yeah, the Miriam Black series. Um, I'm guessing that TV show fell apart. It did. That TV show fell apart before we reviewed Raptor in the Run. Yeah. Sadly. Well. Well, and and you know what, and that might be okay because not all TV shows are great. Like you hope they're great, but sometimes you. I'm gonna you be honest. Like it may be timing because, like, had it been acquired three years later, we could be looking at. I mean, like, because if you look at what's going on right now in television, like with Netflix just like picking off little things here and there, it's a whole different world than it was five years ago. Um, like with. Uh, the bird box thing and uh, that fucking Gina Frangelo's book, a life in men is going to be a TV series, which, um, you know, I just feel like the, the, there's a shift in, in, um, in the people who are making TV shows where they're taking more chances on, on original stuff and not leaning so much in the reboots and remakes and, that type of thing. I could be wrong. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, but Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, um, more so are more willing to adopt an untested sure. genre mm-hmm. or, or story style. And yeah, and, and some really, really terrific things are coming out of it. And you're right. You're right. Maybe, maybe well, it was timing. Maybe it got picked up too early. And Netflix, especially with like how poorly the like Marvel comics TV shows are doing, or like maybe they're not doing poorly, but they're not renewing them. Like they're starting to kind of shut them down. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like they're they're learning that the model for Netflix isn't necessarily to uh, mirror what's happening in the movie world. It's to kind of open up a different avenue with like original shit, like Bird Box, which the last time they released stats on that. 80 million accounts Holy had watched shit. Bird Box. It's insanity. <laughs> 80 fucking million. Come on. Now, you're talking about the money that they're spending. There was an article today, and I was able to, maybe it was yesterday, um, I was able to pull it up. Um, Netflix has established a budget of $1 billion, with a B, for the Lord of the Rings series, five seasons. Holy shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Now you that's may think that's million in a, yeah, a season. Yeah. You may think that's nuts, and just because this ties into something I said earlier in the podcast, they in the same article they paid a hundred million to keep friends. <laughs> I remember through, that <laughs> through this year. Yep. So clearly, they're like, if we don't have friends, people are just going to start dropping like like flies off the Netflix roster. Yeah. So apparently. I don't uh, I wonder how many I wonder what the most. So I make fun of you for having seen Justified like six times or, or whatever and Hannibal like a dozen times. I wonder 
front to front to back the whole thing what the most somebody has watched friends is <laughs> you could probably count cal- well you probably couldn't calculate that because like you could watch multiple episodes in a day blah 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 but like right. i mean it's probably a higher number than anybody wants to admit oh my god man <laughs> i mean i've seen friends it's okay i just i don't yeah. understand the 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 cult like following that it has developed well, it's got my good friend David Schwimmer in it. Well, it does have David Schwimmer in it and, and other people. And, and a lot of you want to talk about guest stars, like the, the list of people that have shown up on that show is pretty impressive. But they spent a hundred million dollars to keep a fucking show that was cancel, cancel, whatever. They decided to end it, what, 10 years ago now? Easily. Yeah. <laughs> to keep it on for another yeah. year. Well, the, you know, The Office is never going to leave Netflix. Because that's the whole joke. Like, scroll through a hundred movies you haven't seen before and end up watching The Office. Yeah, and it is. It's gross how much time people spend. I mean, I can only speak for myself. But the whole thing is like, oh, I've got some time to watch something. And then 45 minutes later, I've looked through everything on yeah. Netflix. I'm like, well, now I don't have time to watch anything because I didn't pick something 45 minutes ago. Yep. That's why I've, I've been doing, um, like, when I sit down to eat, like, dinner or whatever, I just go to YouTube and I find, like, a 20-minute video. And I'm like, oh, this will do. And I watch that. In my sad life. <laughs> so vultures are going to be. <laughs> We're going to be reviewing vultures um, two weeks from tonight ish. Yeah. Um, that's really all I've got. I do know you had one more thing, and we should talk about this one more thing. I was going to say you can't. You can't not talk about this. All right, so. <laughs> Rob is an afterthought kind of sent a note saying that, and I'll, I'll, it's yours. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you deliver this. So this is a little caveat. I don't know anything about this show. I just know what I've seen, like in, in the social medias and stuff, but there's that tidying up show. And I don't remember the name of the woman, but like this woman, she has this Netflix show about like, apparently like simplifying your life. It seems like, and one of the things, um, I guess she also wrote a book and in her book, she recommends never having more than 30 books in your house, which um, has caused a little bit of an uproar with um, book lovers in the United States. And from what I understand, um, Japanese minimalism, a little bit different than the way that, you know, Americans tend to hoard things. And so um, I think it's more of a cultural thing than anything. But I saw also an article where... Um, people are like the the amount of donations to places like goodwill are starting to have an uptick because it's assumed because this show is telling people to like clear shit out of their houses so i've been familiar i have not read her book so um let me start there but her books i think she's got multiple books out but her name is marie kondo k-o-n-d-o mm-hmm. uh, um she is the uh creator of the Cone Marie method, which is really like the first three letters of her last name and the first four letters, Cone Marie um, method. So I'm going to take you through this method. All right, Rob. I can't so wait for this. I was at your place the other day and I got to be honest, <laughs> it looked a little cluttered. It's very cluttered. So here is how you would solve this if you were um, using the Cone Marie method. Um, can you just reach over the closest thing that's not like on your computer desk and just pick up not garbage, but something that you own a possession of yours. So just pick one up for me. Do you think that there's just garbage laying around? Is that what you're saying? 
No, I'm saying when I say pick up a thing, I don't want you to pick up something right. that you can very easily dismiss as this just needs to go away. All, All right. right. Um, can you describe the item that's in your hand for me? Yeah, it is a package of 50 cotton swabs. All right. So <laughs> it's probably a little trickier. That's not what I was expecting you to reach for. But OK, this is how it would work. You're holding it in your hands, right? Yep. I want you to ask yourself, does this item bring me joy? I fucking love cleaning my ears, dude. All right. So yeah. that item brings you joy, so you should keep that item. Yeah. All right. So this is the Cone Marie method on how to make a decision. So what she says to do is to get, like, for example, clothing. And clothing is a big issue for a lot of people. You take all the clothes you own, every piece of clothing, and you put it in a pile on your bed or on the floor or whatever. And then you sit there and go through that process where you pick up each item and ask yourself if it brings you joy or not. If it does not, it goes into a donation pile or garbage pile or whatever if you're a monster and just throw things out. Um, (laughs) If it does bring you joy, it goes into a different pile that you keep. So the gist of this show is she comes into the house. She's this adorable Japanese lady. Comes in the house and explains this to people. Now, here's the only other thing she does. So she tells you, gives you this method by which to decide what to keep. So basically, she comes in your house and says, listen, Rob, you got to get rid of some of this shit. Here's the (laughs) method to do it. And then the only other thing she does is she teaches you a way to fold clothes so that they stand up. So picture if you opened a drawer and looked at all of your black booked T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Picture that all of them were were, were standing up so you could see each T-shirt, right? Because right now in in, in one of your drawers, you probably have T-shirt on top of T-shirt, right? And you can't see what's at the bottom. That's it. This lady has become mega successful by telling people, hey, get rid of some of this shit and then fold the rest of your clothes. And that's that's it. That's the entire <laughs> Cone Marie method. You don't Fuck, have to buy great. a book. Yeah, you don't have to buy a book. You're welcome. You don't have to watch the 10 episodes that she's got on Netflix, although I watched every single one of them. Um, it, it's less exciting because what you want to see is hoarders. And what you see really is just people kind of going through their shit and folding it. So it's a little more boring than you would think than you would think it is. Um, all right. All right. Well, I tell you what, the second thing I picked up was this little thing that came attached to my Adidas shoes that I just bought. That's like a keychain that says cloud foam. It is not bringing me any joy. Yeah. So throw that away, huh? You got to chuck it, chuck it. But yeah, right. um, I watched it, and and like I said, it's almost anticlimactic. The reason I came across her is I do spend, um, although I am not a minimalist, I'm fascinated with minimalism. So I have spent some time on the minimalism boards on Reddit um, and watching some like YouTube videos and stuff. And without fail, if someone talks about decluttering, the Cone Marie method is the first thing everybody mentions to them. So I looked into her and watched some videos based on her stuff years ago. So yeah, I was like, later in the evening on a Friday and I was like, Oh, Hey, tidying up. That's, that's, Hey, that's that lady. That's Marie Marie Kondo. So we wound up watching like binge watching 10 episodes over, you know, like a 12 hour period or something. Nice. Well, I guess the focus for this is, well, a, I'm not going to watch it now based on what you just said. Um, but like the 30 books thing, which, uh, I've seen articles about, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is I'm going to go to like, goodwill and stuff like that all the time now to see if I can pick up like fucking good books that people are throwing out because it seems like it's a good time. 
It is. It's funny you say that because um, I'd uh, I'd googled I'd googled her while we were talking about this, and <laughs> first thing is um, uh, so there's a couple of top stories. One of them is called "Millennial Burnout Is Being Televised," which I think is just hilarious. <laughs> okay. Um, from the Atlantic, but then in the video section, um, the one one video is the Marie Kondo craze means great thrift store shopping right now, and that's from 12 hours ago. <laughs> So, yeah. oh, that's from oh, the Today Show. So yes, yeah. I wanted to point this out because I looked her up earlier, and I just searched for her name and the words thirty books, and the top. Just listen to the title of this article <sighs> from Yahoo. Best life. People are furious at tidying guru Marie Kondo over this one rule. Furious. And then I read the article, and there's at no point is fury brought up. <laughs> of course not. That's clickbait bullshit. Um, yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah, but um, basically saying that like everybody's on board for everything except for like the, the thirty books thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes into the whole like minimalism thing, and it's like it all makes sense. But it's like, man, yeah. furious. I, I I can't remember the last time I was furious in my entire life. Oh man. You you live a you live a charmed life, my friend. I'm furious daily about things, but yeah, Marie saying that I should only have thirty books is not one of them because I you know I and again I I have you know I don't even know I don't even know if I have a hundred books, but I know I have more than thirty that are signed and those I won't part with. Yeah. Um, that being said, I've seen some places that uh, when I was a kid, when I was in I guess high school maybe maybe it was in eighth grade. We, uh, there were like four of us used to walk home from school together and we sometimes like hang out on the weekends. Well, one weekend we went to uh, one particular kid's house. I'm not going to name him because this story might be a little embarrassing. Not that he's someone I've talked to since high school, but, um, his dad was a fucking book hoarder, man. I'd never seen anything like this in my life. Every space that was available on a shelf, bookcases everywhere, complete walls filled mostly what looked like, um, like uh, like thrift store paperback sci-fi yeah. books, fucking everywhere, man. Thousands and thousands of books in this house. Like it got to the point where I, I feel like it was intruding on their ability to live in the house. Right. Um. So clearly that dude has too much. But you know what? That was his thing. His other thing was there was just porn playing on the TV. <laughs> So there's a family. It's uh, two brothers, a mom and a dad, all four of them home, along with a couple of friends from school. And it's like Saturday afternoon. And there's just I'm not talking Cinemax. I am talking straight up full penetration, triple X porn, just playing on a fucking TV who's, in the living who's room. Who's playing this? Who who put it on? The, the father. The father. All right. Who my understanding is, was like borderline genius, if not genius, but just very misguided. He had his kinks. Like, wasn't doing anything with his ingenuity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, super, super smart, but not applying it in any way other than buying a lot of, like, like smelly paperback books and, and just watching porn in the middle of the day. What do you think the chances are that, like, amongst that massive pile of, like, probably almost entirely worthless books that there were a couple of gems in there? You know, there's probably some entire collections. And although sometimes with books like that, like it might not be worth a lot to have, you know, one particular book. 
but you know if it's from a defunct publisher or something and you've got the entire collection you'd be probably pretty likely it was just it was ridiculous rob i mean like like seriously this this isn't just me saying like "Eh, that guy's got too many books it was like holy fuck so it was worse like you're stabbing books dude your wall is nothing (laughs) you're (laughs) literally nothing in comparison I mean, this is, I'm, I'm pulling this from, from memory from 35 years right. ago or 32 so years. Serious. Yeah. Oh God. I'll never forget it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's hope I never get there. If <laughs> you like 10 years from now, you find me in an apartment just like that, but it's all just like, um, unnecessary arc copies of books. Yeah. 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 And porn happen? playing on your TV in the middle of the day. Porn playing on my TV. You know what's weird is that's the only way you used to be able to really play porn. Like you'd have to put it on in the living room? Like a VHS tape, yeah. yeah. There was Dude. no device, you know, on your phone or on your computer or whatever. I mean, I guess if you had a projector, that would have been really weird. <laughs> Just like changing fucking reels and shit halfway through. Uh... Oh, that's so fucking cool. Or like those little like slide projectors where you'd like click the button and like the next nudie picture shows up. Yeah, yeah. That's... um. Depends on how much you want your porn, like what you're willing to invest. I guess. Correct. All right. Have we uh, have we beaten this horse dead enough That's, yet? Yeah, we're dead. It's dead. We're done. All right. Next week, hot, hot off the presses, the Three Musketeers <laughs> by Alexandre Dumas. Um, I'm gonna save. I was gonna say some things, but I think I want to save them for the episode. Yeah, save your excitement for the review. Mm-hmm. I know you're excited. So yeah. you know what? I'm I'm really excited. Like really, really excited. And I read this book. I was probably a teenager when I read it. And I have very little I'm mean, like I I don't remember like if I just remember characters from the multiple movies or from the book. You know what I mean? Because it's something I probably read like thirty plus years ago. But I am I am very excited to talk about Three Musketeers. Awesome. Well, that will be next week. That's gonna wrap it up for our interlude episode where we just buy some time. Uh until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius. Then keep reading. <laughs>